Welcome to episode two of On The Button, Big Button's video marketing podcast. Today we're lucky enough to talk to Nick Hughes. He's Director of Marketing and Communications at Seagrow. He talks about the relationship between B2B and B2C marketing, the challenges he faces selling essentially a space that's the same as a competitor's space, how video plays a part in what he's doing, and the value that being loyal to your suppliers brings to him and the organization. Hi, Nick. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. You are Director of Marketing and Communications at Seagrow. It would be great if you could just introduce Seagrow. Tell us who you are and what your role involves. Yeah, good morning, Simon. Yes, thank you. Um, Firstly, Seagrow. Seagrow is a 100-year-old property company. Uh, We started in 1920 with the Slough Trading Estate. And over the course of the next 10 decades, we have become the largest listed property company in the UK. Uh, So we are actually a a FTSE 50 uh, and we have property in the UK and seven continental European countries. We exist in in purely in one asset class, which is industrial and logistics property. So that goes from the very big sheds that you would see uh, sort of up and down the motorways of Britain to more light industrial property, out of town property. And in effect, we are therefore spanning the sort of property supply chain when it comes to customers such as e-commerce retailers and what are called 3PLs, third-party logistics companies. Tell me about what the the role of Director of Marketing and Communications um, entails in Seagrow. My role at Seagrow, frankly, is about telling the Seagrow story in the right way to the right audiences at the right time. that's a very simplified version of events, but uh, we use various channels such as marketing and external communications, internal communications, digital, social media, etc. It'd be really interesting to hear a little bit more about what that means on a day-to-day basis. But what is it that excites you about the role, um, specifically, you know, at Seagrow, the marketing role at Seagrow? What what excites you about that? I've been at Seagrow for coming up for seven and a half years. When I joined, we were a mid-ranking FTSE 250. Uh, and probably our asset class of industrial and logistics perhaps wasn't as appreciated as much as it is today. Uh, and that's really to do with the sort of structural drivers of people now buying more and more stuff online. And as a consequence, we have become more valuable and grown. Um, so to have been part of that team for seven and a half years, uh, to experience that growth, to find ourselves now as the biggest listed property company in the UK has been phenomenal. Um, I I love it. I love what we do. I love working at Seagrow. Um, It is very much a B2B proposition because there aren't many people in this world who will sign leases for 5, 10, 20 years on a million square foot sheds, for for instance. Um, But we have uh, a fantastic culture, one that our chief exec has really focused on, deliberately focused on, certainly in the time I've been at Seagrow. So for me, it is a it's a fantastic job, and I've, as I say, loved every minute of the journey so far. It's um it's interesting that you, obviously you stress the fact that you're you're a B two B organization, but tell me about what that means to you and the marketing at Seagrow. Um, obviously, I have conversations with with people quite a lot about 
you know, applying some of the techniques we use in B2C to the B2B market, because at the end of the day, you know, we're still trying to reach some of the same people. Is that something that you have to consider? I think it is. Um, I think we can all disappear into uh, the semantics of B2B versus B2C. And then somebody else will say, well, we're people at the end of the day. And that's absolutely true. I think I think what you, what you have to consider that this is a proposition. This is a commercial proposition. Uh, and therefore, uh, there is a finite audience. However, people are still people. We do, we all, we all think, um, however, we all feel. And really when it comes to the challenge for us is to try and unlock the positive feelings towards Seagrove. So that when the, if you like, the cognitive process of making a purchase decision, in this case, a lease on a building, uh, we have managed to influence whoever our our market is prior to that point. So I think for me, there's a, there, there is that, there is that difference really. B2C is very easy to say it's very emotional. We're all consumers. We all get moved. Uh, whereas some people in B2B would say, no, it's just purely the cognitive process, which I disagree with. I think it's about influencing people before you can, before they need to make a decision. Absolutely. I totally agree in that, um, you, you know the that cognitive decision is influenced by your emotions and i guess that's where video comes in um a seamless segue there into video you'll notice nick um <laughs> well tell done. me about how <laughs> thank you tell me about how you use video at seagrow and why we've used video more and more over the last few years um i think it's more of an understanding of uh, how effective it is. Uh, as I said earlier, I think it's 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 a fabulous channel to engage people um, in a almost on a non-conscious basis. So we, I would say, in the last five years, have amplified our use of videos, and we find it in- incredibly effective. I, I think that there's the obvious one, which I haven't mentioned so far, which is over the last year since the pandemic struck and more people, obviously people are working from home a lot more, relying on everything of a, of a digital nature rather than a physical interaction. We have more time staring at screen. And, and part of that is, is to use video because it can be incredibly effective because you can deliver, deliver to the point very effectively. So tell me about some of those uh, those experiences with video. Obviously, I, I couldn't have a conversation with you without talking about uh, the projects we've worked on together. It would be interesting to hear how you, how you kind of choose the agency that you work with on a project um, like that, certainly on a bigger video project. So the, the project, the project uh, which ended up, as you very well know, being called Contraption, uh, the genesis of this goes back about four years ago, at which time... We, I felt we clearly needed a film that represented what Seagrow does. Now, it's, it's quite a hard thing to do because, uh, as I've described, uh, we are a property company. And in its simplest, most commoditized form, that means we build four walls and a roof. It's therefore quite hard to articulate anything distinctive about what we do compared with some of our rivals. And I must have seen or spoken to about a dozen companies video companies who you know at various stages presented ideas one of which we got quite close to doing i actually took it to our chief exec he signed it off and i went to bed that night thinking well i've got a green light here but it just doesn't feel right 
And I woke up in the morning. I thought, no, we're not going to make this film. It's just not, it's, it's not absolutely perfect. I called him up the next day and I said, look, we're not doing it. And, and he was fine with that actually. And that left us uh, still with the, the void of we have no film and we have no idea. And what was looming large on the horizon was our centenary in 2020. And so I, in, in not desperation, but certainly spreading the net a bit wider, I attended the marketing forum, but I thought, well, right, I'm going to go to this because I'll go with a single mission and that's to meet video companies and talk to them about what we needed. Uh, and that's, of course, where I met you. And that would have been in October 2018, I think. Uh, so we met at that time. Uh, I gave you my rather challenging brief. And from memory, Simon, you came in, I would have said, early January. I think, uh, yeah, we spoke originally in uh, late December. And I think we actually got together to have a chat in January. Yeah. And uh, you came in and you nailed it. You you came up with an idea uh, and as I've said to you before, I was the least cool client ever because I effectively bought it on the spot. But it was I, I did that because I didn't know what the solution was. I just I just I, I, I just knew it's a cliche, but I just knew I'd know it when I heard it. As soon as you articulated and got the storyboards out, I thought, yeah, this is this is the film we want to make because this articulates the essence of Seagrow, if you like, the brand purpose uh, of Seagrow. So we, we say that we create the space that enables extraordinary things to happen. And what your film contraption did was to create that over, over two and a half minutes. It was, it was a happy serendipitous moment. Um, and I think even by the end of that meeting, uh, which was probably an hour long, I think we all knew that there would be an enormous amount of challenges to deliver that film. There would be lots of variables, moving parts, uh, lots of big decisions to be made. But nonetheless, I felt the idea was so strong that we were going to commit to it. Uh, and I would have to get help from customers, from colleagues at Seagrow along the way. But, you know, come hell or high water, we were going to make that film it's really interesting there what you've talked about about sort of seeing that that creative and and deciding there and then what is it that drives your decision when you're choosing an agency or partner to work with is it the creative is it the um the chemistry with the agency uh, what is it that that helps you make that decision i think it's uh i think it's a number of factors i mean cer- certainly um if if you're if you're buying a creative idea you need to, you need a strong idea um, and the chemistry has to be right. I mean, I, I, I don't think anyone really wants wants to work with people they're just not going to get on with. And that, that cuts both ways, of course. You know, if you've got a client who is particularly unpleasant or whatever, you don't necessarily want to work with them. So chemistry is really, really important. Creative solutions are obviously very important. I think for us, uh, one of the biggest drivers is people who understand our business. And if, if it is a, a brief of a creative nature, it's the ability to understand the strategic drivers behind what we're trying to do. Um, we won't just buy a good idea. Your, the idea you came up with for contraption is a brilliant idea, but it was a brilliant idea because you understood what we wanted to articulate, not because it was fun to do. So, so understanding our business is really important. Included in that, of course, means you have to understand who our primary stakeholders are how we want to describe ourselves and how we want those stakeholders to react to whatever it is we're doing. So that piece for us um, is really important. So 
good, good creative is great, but it has to be arranged around an organizing idea. And that organizing idea has got to be absolutely in line with our strategy and our goals. I think you make a really good point there, actually. Uh, it might be that our B2B clients tend to be trying to communicate maybe a, a more nuanced or more complex message. And so an understanding of that really helps an agency to simplify that communication. Let, let, let me explain it another way. Um, we, I did some work when, in my first year at Seagrow, which was to define our brand position. But what I did was to look at the work of Carl Jung and taking Jungian archetypes. And we see ourselves as a creator brand. And working with my leadership team, that's what we decided upon. Uh, I then spent probably about 18 months socializing that idea, evangelizing it to all parts of our business. And I put it, put together a presentation uh, which looked at the psychological aspects of what we do and also us as a brand. And in fact, the very first time I presented it was to colleagues in our Dusseldorf office. And uh, during the course of the presentation, I talked about the work of Daniel Kahneman in terms of his system one and system two and how we think and how we process and you know, what, what what sort of dictates our thoughts and it comes from feelings, etc. And I had given this presentation and what, one of my German colleagues said, yeah, that's all, all well and good, Nick. But when it, when it really comes down to it, if you've got a, a property decision maker who is looking at two leases, one from Seagrow and one from someone else, they're not, they're not going to think about system one or system two necessarily. They're just going to think, this is my job. I have to decide which building our business takes. And it's probably my, this year's bonus depends on it, or possibly my, my promotion depends on making the right decision. So they're going to look at the two leases and they're going to apply just their, their professional experience to making that decision. So I, li I listened to all of this and I said, well, actually, well, kind of what you've described there is system two thinking or almost to a T. And here's the challenge. Here's the opportunity for, for companies like Seagro. We can influence before they make that decision. That's what we should be aiming for. We should be giving a, a sense of who Seagro is to people so that they feel positively about us. And that will probably uh, might be non-conscious, but it will manifest from feeling to thought because no two things are equal. And when it comes to those two leases, perhaps they're looking at Seagrows and they're going, I've just got a feel. I've got a gut feel about Seagrow. They're, they're pretty much of a muchness, but I'm going to recommend to my board that we take Seagrows building. And that's, that is the, ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to influence our stakeholders positively to make Seagrow the first choice. One thing I've noticed working with you, Nick, is the loyalty that you demonstrate to your suppliers. Certainly from my perspective, you know, when you see a client uh, demonstrate that kind of trust and loyalty, you know, you, it does push you the extra mile. You you do whatever it takes to make sure that you you kind of live up to that, that trust and that loyalty. Tell me why is it that you demonstrate that loyalty to your to your suppliers? Yeah, well, and that and that is hopefully one of the outcomes. Look, I I come from actually I spent more of my career working uh, supply side than client side, uh, so I experienced perhaps um, like like everyone who works supply side a la lack of loyalty from various clients over the years, um, and, and I despaired because you just think, well, hang on, you're not going to get the best out of us. You're really not. So when I moved over to client side, uh, I really wanted to make sure that 
every relationship I have with, with key partner suppliers, there's there's transparency and there's honesty and there's openness. In that, I mean, it has to be a two-way street. If we are not performing as a client and we don't perform as a client some days, then we want to hear about it because we we want to learn, we want to improve. But the relationship should be good enough that we can therefore, if we feel that we need to say something to our supplier, we'll say it. So, so if you start off a relationship on that basis, that's a, to me, that's a, that's a pretty healthy environment. In terms of loyalty, look, I think it's been magnified over the last 12 months. Everyone was terrified in, in March when, when the first lockdown happened and, and order books just you know, were closed up. And I said to my team, we, we are not going to take on any new suppliers because we have worked with some really talented suppliers who've been loyal to us, by the way. And we're going to show that loyalty in spades to them during this next period. Because, as you've already said, Simon, because those key partner suppliers will go, will go that extra yard to help deliver something to their clients, which they're, they're more proud of. Um, it's better value. It's perhaps taking priority over other clients' works within a studio. And, it, and that, to me, is in, incredibly useful, incredibly valuable as a client. So, I, I, I mean... Yeah, loyalty is, is it loyalty? Yeah, I guess it is. Um, but I think it's more, it's more to do with respect, isn't it? I think it's about respecting who you're working with and whether you're a client or a supplier. It, you know, the clients should not, in my opinion, uh, or do not have a monopoly on knowledge or, or, or should they act in a sort of hierarchical fashion? I think it's, it's about teamship. It's about working together and collaborating on something um, and then respecting everyone in that process absolutely uh, it's very refreshing to hear as well um uh, i could talk to you uh, all day nick but um uh, i'm going to kind of kind of round it up a little bit here i've got a couple of last questions the first one i guess is something that i ask um everyone on these podcasts and that is you know if, if you were going to give some tips to someone that was just starting to use video or or they weren't convinced video is the right way to go what would you say to them whether it's around who you work with or the way in which the, you produce the content have you got any top tips i, I well I, th- I think the macro question is why use video I, I think you know anyone who's perhaps in a position to commission something like that should know the answer to that already but if if not there's plenty of published research to to show you that is the answer um the second one is much more challenging um i'm probably getting about 10 uh, cold calls a week from videographers and it's <laughs> very hard to know who's good and who isn't um, I, I think it would be, I, I think you need to do your due diligence like anything, quite frankly. Um, for me, therefore, as I mentioned, when we met Simon, it was through the marketing forum. If you can sign up to something like that, you are going to definitely meet a higher quality of potential supplier. I was, you said to me on that day, I, I remember you said something about, uh, you had lots of these people contacting you, but they were always talking about it, the problems from their perspective rather than your own. Is that, do you remember that? It was a long time ago that we met now. Uh, uh, no, I do. I do remember it. I, I remember it well. And, and, and that's, that's the point I made earlier about what we look for in a supplier, somebody who understands us. Um, you know, I get, I get fed up with suppliers of, of all natures who can, who talk about what, what we can do for them, what wonderful work that they will do. Um, and it's, and it's irritating because actually it's, it's about the process of working together. I, I, I want this to be much more market oriented, you know, i.e. 
you as you did you came along and you listened and you wanted to understand what Seagrove was all about and what I needed and what we as a business needed intelligent listening doesn't happen enough from from the supply side it really doesn't the tone of emails or cold calls is always about how wonderful it will be when we win an award it, to be fair it was wonderful when we won lots of awards though wasn't it Nick <laughs> well we won a few and I think we've got quite a few more coming up um I, I don't know what the the final tally will be but I suspect it'll be north of 20 which is which is brilliant um and I guess the other thing with numbers is I think it was our second meeting, Simon, when we were talking about how many pairs of eyes are going to actually watch contraption. And Alex and Elizabeth, two, my two colleagues who I work with, as you know, on contraption, we were getting really excited about the thought of 100,000 views, which you know, for a B2B brand making a, a brand film, we thought was going to be pretty high. Yeah. You, you were saying conservatively 250. Um, and we were thinking, yeah, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? He's going to he's going to direct the film. He's going to make the film. And um, I, I'm, I, I don't think he quite realizes. Uh, I think we got two fit. We hit 250,000 views within three days. And I think we hit a million within two weeks. Um, I, I, I don't know where the figure is now. Obviously, it's north of a million. But um, I mean, astronomically large figures. Absolutely. Yeah, I, we're absolutely a big button. We're, we're really chuffed with the success. And I, hopefully it's, it reflects the hard work that went in from all sides uh, to get to make it happen. Um, my final question, then, Nick, um, is about the future. Um, obviously, it's been um, an interesting 12 months and no one knows what the next 12 will hold. But what are your plans uh, for marketing at Seagro and specifically around video? It, it's going to be an interesting time for us. The, the pandemic in our world, in the industrial and logistics world, has accelerated the world forward five years and five months. I mean, that was a saying last year, which has become a bit of a cliche. But in real terms, if you look at the UK, our online purchasing has risen from approximately 20% to 30% and has stabilized there and will go up. Uh, translating that into our business, we, we just have huge demand on our product because obviously there are so many e-commerce retailers and so many new e-commerce retailers that we are incredibly busy. As a consequence, at Seagrow, from a Marcom's perspective, we are very busy. And I think if you if you couple with that with the fact that you know we are a strong constituent member of the FTSE 100, we therefore naturally uh, draw a lot of uh, media attention. Um, it's all hands on deck at the moment. When it comes to to video, as such, yeah, that's will continue to be, play a big part of our channel mix, um, and we're looking at you know variations or versions of video. So, for instance, we have a big VR project under wraps, which is something that I think will start to move away from some of the more traditional channels and look more at delivering stuff via VR because Again, coming back to the point that it's unlikely that people will be working five days a week in an office, that they'll be working in the current distributed fashion. Um, delivering something through goggles, headsets is going to be very, very powerful as opposed to looking at a brochure, for instance. So, um, you know, as I say, that's, you know, video, video will play a big part in that as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Nick. Um, it's been really interesting chatting to you. Thanks for joining me. 
Thank you so much for listening to the On The Button podcast. It's brought to you by Big Button. Big Button is a strategic video agency. You can find out more about our work at bigbutton.tv. I hope you can join us next time.